how are you? Welcome to the Kate Languages Summer 2023 Replay Series. <laughs> this summer, between seasons four and five, I'm re-releasing some of my favourite ever podcast episodes that I think are well worth a re-listen. From my top tips for saving time to classroom management, the new GCSE and teacher wellbeing and burnout via some of the best conversations I've had over the past few years with some absolutely incredible educators. I hope you enjoy listening to these episodes again and get lots of great ideas and inspiration from them. This episode is called Designing a Curriculum and in the episode I talk through my ideas on how to build and design a curriculum. It's focused on Key Stage 3 but I think it's totally relevant for Key Stage 4 as well, although you are a little bit more constrained by the GCSE in Key Stage 4, and also for primary schools as well. I think there's a lot to be learnt right through the key stages from what I talk about in this podcast episode. What's quite interesting is listening back to it, there are a few things that I've maybe changed my mind on and a few things that I've developed my ideas on since then. One of them is that in the podcast I say that I don't provide schemes of work. I don't provide generic schemes of work for people. I am actually at the moment working on a full curriculum. So I'm starting with French Year 7 and I am working on creating an entire curriculum that will take your students from Year 7 right through to GCSE. And I'm using a lot of the principles that I talk about in this episode. So three topics per year, for example, building your each topic, each term up to beautiful work. Again, listen to the rest of the podcast for, for more information on this and those kind of ideas. Now, this is going to take a lot longer than I think I had anticipated. I was hoping to get it ready for September 2023 there is no chance that that is going to happen um, but I'm hoping that in the academic year 2023 to 2024 I will start being able to publish each term's worth of work and take it from there and I will be doing Spanish and German as well so it's going to be a lot of work the ones I've worked on so far I'm really really proud of how lovely the PowerPoints look, but they're not like super complicated. They just look really nice. And I'm providing um, vocabulary lists and student workbooks and a teacher's book and everything. So it's literally the full curriculum, everything you need to teach, as I say, starting from year seven French onwards. The other thing it, that I have developed from this, from the designing a curriculum ideas and thoughts. I did a CPD on this a year or two ago and now I am working one-to-one with some schools and teachers and helping them to design their curriculum. I've done a couple uh, this year, I've been working with a couple of teachers designing their Spanish GCSE curriculum and it's been really, really helpful for them and I've got to say as well, I've really, really enjoyed working with them. So actually going into a lot more depth and working with them on their own unique situations. So for one of them, for example, the students were actually starting Spanish ab initio in year 10 so we looked at how you can start to write your scheme of work for students who've not really done any Spanish. I think they've done a little bit in year nine, but who've not really done any Spanish and working out how to actually create the curriculum based on that. Because that is very different to the typical kind of textbook um, programmes of study that you get because that assumes that you've already done a good three years, if not longer, in primary school as well, but you've done a few years of Spanish learning up to that point. So that's the kind of thing I'm doing, and I am continuing to do that, and you can uh, book onto that on my website. You can, well, get in touch with me first, because we need to kind of figure out how long you need, when we can do it, etc. 
and then I've actually made it really, really easy to pay for that. You can just go onto the website. Um, I've changed the headings for everything. So it's, it's now a language lessons and CPD. So you can click on language lessons and CPD and you can actually buy a certain amount of time with me for CPD training. I mean, I kind of think of this as like coaching, but I don't have any coaching qualifications. So I'm not actually <laughs> calling it coaching, but it does feel a little bit like coaching as well. It's like, working together are asking lots of questions and me not necessarily telling you like exactly what you need to do but working together and guiding you and coaching you through how to do this so yeah so that's really easy and also you can book bespoke language lessons with me that way as well but again do contact me first because my availability is super limited for so I'm talking about academic year 2023 to 24 at the moment my diary is really filling up I don't have a huge amount of availability but I really really want to work with lots of people so do get in touch and uh, yeah we can figure out days and times for that another thing that I talk about in this podcast episode that again I've developed since the episode first came out is mastery and how it's really important to master key vocabulary and grammar and one of my series of resources that I, again, I'm still in the process of creating, everything is a kind of ongoing process with me, but I've done quite a lot of booklets on this already. It's called Mastering the Basics, and I focused on really, really basic key vocabulary, so like numbers one to 12, colours, months, week, uh, days of the week, all sorts of things, lots of different food items, and they are all available to purchase on my website, and they're all in French, German, and Spanish. They're really, really good for using with SEND students, students whose English literacy is quite low. In this podcast episode, I talk about how you teach to the top and scaffold below. And this type of booklet is absolutely ideal for scaffolding the lower ability students or those with lower English literacy levels. So check those out as well. A couple of other things I talk about in the podcast episode, again, that I'm developing and are going to be available fairly soon, actually. The first one is I talk about challenge. So as I said, teach to the top, but also challenging your most able students. And in March 2024, I'm going to be doing a CPD workshop called Stretch and Challenge Effective Extension Tasks, in which I'll be giving lots of ideas. And as it's a workshop, it's an interactive thing, so you can come along with your ideas as well on extension tasks that aren't just more of the same, things that really stretch and challenge the most able students and keep them interested and motivated as well. Another CPD that I'm running, and again, in this podcast episode, I talk about group dynamics, I'm going to be running a CPD workshop on group dynamics in the MFL classroom based on the book that I talk about in this podcast episode as well by Zoltan Dernier, and that's in April 2024. You can buy all of my CPD in one nice bundle on my website. Again, click on language lessons and CPD at katelanguages.co.uk. Or if you are a buy everything customer, all of the CPD is included as well so once you have bought everything you will always be added to the list and invited to come along to the CPD if you aren't able to come on the day it doesn't matter because I will then upload the recordings and the resources to the buy everything downloads page and you'll just be able to access that for no extra cost whatsoever so that's 120 pound for all of the CPD for next academic year but if you buy everything, it's a one-off payment, it's not a subscription, so you buy everything. At the moment, it's £250. I'll give you warning now, my prices are going up from September, so everything on my website is going up from September. So at the moment, buy everything is £250, and that includes all of this, I mean, all of my resources, but all of this CPD. But then, for academic year 24 to 25, it will also include all the CPD, and so on and so on, until I retire. So you're getting a pretty good bargain, I think, if you are interested in continuing to develop professionally. <laughs> the last thing uh, that I wanted to mention as well is I talk quite a lot as well uh, in this podcast episode about authentic texts. And there is a blog post on my website where I did, an, I did another webinar about using authentic texts at A-level, but what I've got there 
I mean, you can use them at Key Stage 3 and Key Stage 4 as well. I've got links to some really, really good websites. So I'll put a link to that blog post in the show notes or just go on my website, click on blog and search for authentic texts and you'll find it there. Right, this is quite a long episode, but as I say, I've listened to it again, just to double check, like this is well, well worth listening to again. Let me know what you think. I am at Kate Languages on Facebook and Instagram, or you can email me through my website, katelanguages.co.uk. Enjoy. Hola, hello, salut. Hi, this is the Kate Languages podcast, and this is the fifth of my CPD episodes for this podcast. Uh, If you haven't had a chance to listen to the other ones, I have done episodes on using GCSE style activities at Key Stage 3, teacher wellbeing and burnout, tips for improving and maintaining your language skills as an MFL teacher, and my latest one was on classroom management um, using a book uh, called The Danish Way of Parenting, um, which I've had some really interesting feedback from actually, so thank you to everybody who has got in touch um, to tell me that you've been listening to my CPD episodes in particular and that yeah it seems like they some of them have been quite useful the most popular one to date is definitely the uh, teacher well-being and burnout one which is good because I wasn't I wasn't too sure about yeah about doing that one it was quite a difficult one to do but I'm really really glad that actually it's resonated with quite a lot of people and um yeah I've had some lovely messages from people that um it's actually really helped them so that was kind of the aim so I'm really really glad to to hear that and actually on a note of that I've just worked out so this is November 2021 now I've worked out it's actually been five years since I finished um well I'll go through the whole story in that episode but um yeah five years since I've actually taught in a school um okay so yeah so this episode is about designing a curriculum so I've actually done um a couple of workshops and webinars and things like that on this topic and it's just something that I think um, is quite interesting. I've, I've, I've had quite a lot of emails and messages from people over the years asking whether I'm going to write schemes of work to put on my website. You know, they're obviously for sale. I don't think people expect me to write schemes of work for free. I hope not. But yeah, and it, it's something that I've struggled with a bit and I've sort of thought about now and then and then I've I've never done it and the reason why is because I do think that your curriculum is quite uh, specific to your setting and your children and you know everybody has a different number of hours available so if I said oh well this takes you know 12 lessons for some schools that could be three weeks and for some well if you're really lucky maybe maybe four weeks if you have three lessons a week and for some that could be a whole term because they've only got one one lesson a week so yeah, I just I just think it's a very difficult thing for me to write generic s- schemes of work for people. As I said, I have worked with I, I worked with an academy trust last year, um, and I have done a webinar on this idea of designing a curriculum. So I just thought I would go through my main ideas and yeah, the things that I've kind of put together as a general starting point. So I think this um, episode would be particularly useful um, for heads of department, heads of, heads of subject. I've also worked with a primary school within this academy trust on designing their curriculum. So yeah, I think it's, you know, I, I'm going to be talking about Key Stage 3 because GCSE is, you know, Key Stage 4 is very, very much defined by the by the GCSE and primary has different I was going to say <laughs> issues no that's not a very nice word is it um there, there are different considerations there you go with primary schools so I'm focusing on key stage three I think this is probably where you've got the most space for creativity really within your curriculum so I'm going to be talking about kind of starting with the bigger picture and then narrowing in to the kinds of lessons and the kinds of yeah smaller units of learning that you might want to plan. I'll say straight away that I don't subscribe to any particular pedagogy in terms of um you know there are many different schools are very vocal on Twitter if you're on Twitter uh, very di- many different schools of um, MFL learning and teaching and 
personally, I like variety. I like a bit of a hybrid method. I haven't used textbooks for many, many years, but I'm aware that lots of people do use textbooks. But what I'm saying in this episode, I don't think... I think if you use textbooks, you can still take on board a lot of the things I'm saying because, I mean, okay, I have heard of schools who literally just go, right, this week we're doing page 21 and 22, next week we're doing page 23 and 24, etc. But I, th- I think for me, a textbook, if you are following the, the textbook, is a, is a starting point. It's a jumping off point. And from there, you can create your programme of study or scheme of work and it needs to be supplemented as far as I'm concerned. Okay, so yeah, so like I said, I'm starting with the bigger picture and then kind of narrowing in. And I'm not telling you what which pedagogy to use, which school of thought that you need to follow. Because like I say, I like to look at everything and take bits bits of each one that I think are useful. And it, again, it, as I said, I this is why I don't write scheme generic schemes of work for people it all depends on your context and your children Um, and I think it's really worth experimenting with lots of different ideas to see what works best for them anyway all right so starting with the bigger picture starting at the end and I think this is true for all planning so from I mean literally from from every task right through to your entire curriculum you start at the end you work out what you want the pupils to know and to be able to do at the end of the key stage. If we're saying at the end of key stage three, assuming you have a three-year key stage three, what do you want them to know and be able to do at the end of year nine? Regardless of whether they're going on to do GCSE or not, what do you want them to have done in those three years? So that's looking at vocabulary, grammar, culture, there might be other things that you want to include in that. I know phonics is a really big thing. I don't, well, does that come in voc- vocab, grammar? I'm not really sure where that fits, but yeah, phonics as well. <clears throat> and the skills, of course. I mean, the skills are embedded in every single task and every single lesson, aren't they? And skills being uh, listening, reading, writing and speaking. And I often include translation these days within those skills. Um, I know they're reading and writing skills essentially, but translation is such a big part of the GCSE now. I kind of always think of it as a, as a fifth skill these days in MFL. So yeah, so what do you want, so what vocabulary do you want them to know? At the moment, as I say, this is November 2021, at the moment people are, uh, the, the GCSE focus is very much on themes and topics and, you know, vocab, areas of vocab for students to learn. But I'm aware that the GCSE is changing to, oh, I don't know, is it 1,000, 1,500 of the most commonly used words in the languages. So um, <clears throat> if you are thinking of redesigning your Key Stage 3 curriculum for the new GCSE, whenever that may be, yeah, in terms of vocabulary, what, yeah, how are you going to teach them these 1,000, 1,500, whatever words? Um, In terms of grammar as well, thinking about by the end of Key Stage 3, how many tenses do you think they they need to know? How, how, you know, in how much detail are they going to understand about, about genders, about adjectival endings in German, about cases, all that kind of thing? And the other thing I mentioned was culture. So how are you going to embed culture throughout? What what elements of the culture of the target language do you think it's really, really important for them to know over those three years? And then, you, then you're working out how you're going to fit them in to the programmes of study. And then you're thinking about how how each unit and then each lesson feeds into that final outcome. So as you are designing your curriculum you need to have that end point in mind at all times okay so realistically you're not saying I want my students to be fluent after three years like that's not going to happen so you're you know as an experienced teacher hopefully if you are designing a curriculum you've got a bit of experience of, of language teaching and yeah so your experience should tell you what a good year nine student should be capable of and realistically 
you know, what, what's the most that you can expect, but also being aware of different levels and different levels of ability. Um, I think that's a really important thing as well. So as I say, yeah, so thinking about the end point and working out how each unit and each lesson and each task build towards that end point. So I often think of this as like like building a house, really. Learning a language is like building a house. You need to build really, really secure foundations. And then each thing you do, each task, each lesson, each unit are bricks that work together and, you know, like sit on top of each other to build uh, a house. So, yeah. And one, one of the ways of really securing this, I kind of lost my analogy a little bit. <laughs> with the house because <laughs> my brain's just gone and we went about right um yeah so, so one of the ways of, of building your linguistic house I suppose is to repeat things as often as possible it's obviously not doing the same thing every lesson that would be really boring but again building this into your curriculum when are you going to repeat for example key verbs such as être and avoir, haben, sein, tener, ser, estar. How are you going to make sure that these are embedded and that students achieve mastery? That's a good buzzword around at the moment, isn't it? Mastery. But seriously, I mean, you're not going to be any, you, you can't go anywhere with a language if you, if you haven't mastered key, key, key things like to be and to have or numbers or you know there are certain things that need to need to be built in and they you need to build into the curriculum like when you're going to introduce them when you're going to first repeat them when you're then going to build build on them so you know you might introduce them at the beginning then repeat them a week or two later then a month or so later and then a couple of months after that you might be using them again but you're building on them so I don't know. I mean, giving to be and to have as an example. Um, I've just done some lessons on these recently, so that's why I'm thinking about them. So starting off with maybe just the the I form of the verb, and then I am, I have, and then building it a couple of weeks later to be able to say he he is, he has, she is, she has, being able to ask the question, do you have, are you, and then you know a month or two later, bringing in the we form and the they form things like that. As I say, I don't subscribe to any particular pedagogy and sometimes, um, and, it, and it does really depend. So I teach teachers at the moment and I don't do it like, like that. I give them the whole verb to conjugate, but that's because they're teachers and they're linguists. Um, so I'm very aware of my context and I do often say to them, this isn't actually how I would do it with, with, with students, but I feel that you really need to know these verbs in full to be able to teach them. So so yeah, it's a repetition, retrieval practice, spaced learning. So, you know, being aware of when you're going to repeat repeat it um, and how long the gaps are between repetition of different key, like I say, key bits of grammar, key vocabulary, etc. So looking throughout your programme of study and working out how often they're actually seeing these key concepts. And is it enough? Because you know, most students are going to have to see stuff. Oh, I don't know what the, there's probably lots of research on this, isn't there? Like exactly how many times they need to see it. But I mean, it depends. I remember at school, I probably needed to be taught things once or twice. And I used to remember them. I've taught students like that. Um, and I've taught students that you can tell something 100 times and it still doesn't go in. So, so somewhere between once and a hundred. <laughs> um, but yeah, the more you repeat it, the more you practice it, the, the better it's going to be, you know, and the more it's going to get stuck into their long-term memory, um, which is where you need everything to be for them to be able to retrieve it successfully, etc. So that's the, the first thing. So starting with the bigger picture, what do you want them to know at the end of the key stage? And then working out how you're going to reach that point by working out what the key concepts are and how you're going to space them out across um, the three years. Thinking about content, okay? So as I said, lots of people do use textbooks um, and, you know, the, I mean, in some ways, it's very, easy, it's very easy using a textbook because you've got the content mapped out for you. And as I say, I see them as a jumping off point and you, they need to be supplemented. 
but yeah, even with a textbook, you need to make decisions. For example, how many topics or how many units are you going to cover per year? So in a in a, a normal English school, um, you have six half terms per year. In the past, I have thought, oh, that means you can do six topics per year, six units of a textbook of a textbook per year. Realistically, and I know this is the case with with a lot of schools, you'll be teaching for maybe three or four weeks, then you'll be doing assessments, and then you will then have a week of I don't know get feedback of assessments and maybe watching a film. I don't that's really bad isn't it or doing you know doing something else so yeah so three to four weeks in a six week half term uh, how much are you really going to be able to cover in that time now if I were a head of department I would be looking at three units three topics per year and going into depth so instead of skimming the surface of six topics per year I'd be looking at three key ideas that I want students to look at per topic and I would spend a whole term doing each one. So yeah, so I said they're key ideas, key key concepts. And I think this is something as well that that I've thought about and, and changed my mind on in the past few years. So a key idea being, for example, talking about the world around me. All right, that could be your key idea. So whereas before I might have said, right, your topic is my home, my town, my school. If you have the key idea of talking about the world around me, you are kind of broadening that out a little bit and you can incorporate things like my home, my town, my school, but working out, okay, how how can I talk about, how can I join all these things together to then be able to talk about the world around me by the end of this term? I really hope that makes sense. Um, So instead of splitting up and saying this, you know, for three weeks, we're going to talk about my home. For the next couple of weeks, we're going to talk about my town. And then for two or three weeks after that, we're going to talk about my school. So you're actually thinking of it as as a bigger topic and bigger ideas. Yeah, then working out how your program of study for the term will build towards this key idea whether it be talking about the world around me, whether it be talking about your what you do in your free time. I mean, that you know, that might seem like, oh, my God, how can you do an entire term on that? But there are so many things that can be incorporated into that and culture. So as I said right at the beginning, vocabulary, grammar and culture and the culture needs to be embedded within each of your topics and within each each of the units and needs to, not an add-on so not like oh it's Dia de los Muertos next week oh I wonder if I can just google it and do one random lesson on Dia de los, de los Muertos think about oh okay well that well, I know when that comes up so within the term when that comes up how can that be incorporated in the topic or can I base my topic around something like that for that term and then that fits in seamlessly there so again in thinking about embedding culture rather than just sticking it in a random lesson as an add-on as well another interesting idea and I've got to say I've got a lot of these ideas oh I've talked I've talked about this book before in one of my in my other podcast episodes I swear to god this is one of the best educational books I've ever read is Mary Myatt um the curriculum I'm not going to try and pronounce Gallimoffrey again. Is it Gallimoffrey, Gallimoffrey? I did it, didn't I? Oh, no. Uh, anyway, yeah, so the Mary Myatt curriculum book. Oh, it's so good. It's She's just got so many brilliant ideas. I mean, if you are designing a curriculum and you haven't read it, I would suggest you stop what you're doing, read the book, and incorporate as much as you can from the book. It's so good. And one of the things she talks about that I love is producing beautiful work I love this idea something that you can be really really proud of so towards the end of a unit I would say um, think about what kind of beautiful work can the students produce okay so this isn't assessments this is something that you want to put on your wall or this is something that you want to watch it could be a video it could be something that they listen to you know they could be they could make their own little podcast oh my god I remember like 
I'm going to say like 15 years ago, I tried to, I did podcasts. I made podcasts with some students. No one had really heard a podcast at that point. No one knew what, the, what on earth we were doing. So it didn't, it didn't stick, sadly. But honestly, like these days, everyone knows what podcasts are. So um, it might work a bit better. Or YouTube videos or I don't know, like, you know, creating beautiful work in the target language that they work towards, they practice, they rehearse, they create something really, that they're really, really proud of. And it's based around whatever topical unit you're doing. And again, this works a lot better when you're giving a lot more time to a unit. Now you might be thinking, oh my God, but we've got so much that we need to cover and get them prepared for the GCSE. So I'm, but I'm not saying like, only talk about pets for an entire term. I'm saying, think of like, a bigger question, a bigger idea, and you work towards that. So if you're saying first time of year seven, you might want them to be able to tell tell you all about themselves. So to what you're working towards that by Christmas, they can create even just like a you know a beautiful portrait where they've got a picture of themselves and they've written some lovely, you know, a couple of paragraphs, but the but that they are strong and correct and accurate and have got some really interesting ideas and information in there about themselves and their families or whatever or another thing again that Mary Myatt talks about and I think this is really interesting is to give them the opportunity to use their knowledge in a real world setting so maybe creating a portrait of themselves or maybe creating a portrait of a French or German or Spanish whatever speaking person that again that they are either creating a video or they're creating a beautiful piece of writing or something like that but if if you're thinking of doing that towards the end of your uh, towards the end of your unit uh, then your program of study leading up to that needs you need to work out well, how are we going to build on this and how are we going to prepare <clears throat> prepare it etc so I guess some people might see this as a kind of project work I don't know I don't I don't see it like that I see it as doing everything that you need that you need to do including all the vocab and the grammar and the cultural content that you need to include and then just making sure that at the end of it they've got something really really great that they want to show off and that they can say yeah this is what we've learned and this is what we've done I mean, if you're really lucky, you might be able to use that as an assessment instead of whatever textbook assessments, whatever assessments, sit there and bite something off the top of your head for half an hour. But yeah, again, that's not really, that's not really my remit. Okay, another thing that Mary Myatt talks about, which is, which really resonated with me, is challenge. I was actually um, gifted and talented coordinator in my last school for a couple of years and oh, I loved it absolutely loved it and I, I just wanted the students to have the chance I never had I I never felt hugely challenged at school I don't know I mean I, I could do a whole podcast on on how to challenge students and how basically st- lots of students are really naughty because they're bored which is what I was at school <laughs> um but anyway so challenge is really 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 important and I think we need to push students but also I think in MFL it is really hard because especially with children like children whose English language skills are very very good sometimes I find and I don't know if other people find this as well I have found that they are the ones who struggle the most because they want to say such interesting like complex things and you're kind of going "Mm," you're kind of dumbing them down all the time just saying well, that's really complicated and the grammar's a bit complicated and it's a bit beyond what you know, so can you try and say la 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 la, make it simple? So yeah, that it, it is really tough and I, th- and I think finding that balance between pushing and challenging but not making it so complex that it just end- <clears throat> ends up being rubbish or they just use Google Translate and it's all just like a waste of everyone's time. So <clears throat> the really important thing with challenge is that you are creating content and work for the students that is high challenge and low threat so again this is something that Mary Myatt talks about a lot in her book so the low threat I think is really really important as well being able to take risks and this does 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 actually fit in with what I was talking about in in the last episode 
a Danish way of parenting about play and risk taking and things like that. And I do just think it is so important and it's so difficult. And when you are pressed for time and you're worried about, you know, getting them prepared for potentially doing the GCSE, giving students the time and the space to play and experiment and make mistakes it's really hard and it's really scary and I guess for some people as well like worrying that you know Ofsted might think oh well everything's wrong in this book like why aren't they ever getting anything right I mean making mistakes doesn't mean everything's wrong but yeah and I can see that people worry about that and there might be people you know observing lessons or whatever who don't really understand that sort of philosophy but then if, if you are in the position where you can design your own curriculum and you are a middle leader, then hopefully you'll be able to put your case forward if this is what you really want to be doing. Anyway, OK, I keep digressing a little bit, don't I? So challenge. It's a high challenge, low threat. OK, so the low threat means it doesn't matter if you get it wrong. We want you to take risks. We want you to make mistakes and we want you to learn from those mistakes. We don't want you to get 10 out of 10 for every single thing that you ever do. What is the point in that? Like you're not learning anything from that if you're always getting everything right. But you need to create an atmosphere where they feel safe enough to take risks and get things wrong. And again, in MFL, this is harder, it's much harder because making a mistake and getting things wrong in a foreign language is really scary because you risk sound like you think you're going to sound really stupid. I mean, I still do it. I will still go to France or Germany or Spain and I worry and I say things wrong and then I realise that someone's like repeated it back to me and corrected me and I think, oh God, you know. It's, yeah, it's scary. Speaking of foreign language is scary. So what are you going to do within your classes? And this needs to be planned into the curriculum. This is not something that's just like, again, an add-on, you know, oh, well, yeah, we'll think about that, blah, blah, blah. And I would say as well as a curriculum leader, do not assume that all of your staff are aware of things like group dynamics and creating warm cozy comfortable hygge kind of spaces again listen to my other episode about the danish way of teaching what was it classroom management danish style yeah don't don't assume that all of your staff are doing that so yeah again it needs to be embedded into the curriculum how are you going to do this i often um, recommend an amazing book by is actually he was actually my um master's tutor zoltan dernier and it's called um group dynamics in the language classroom I recommend it to people but then actually uh, last time I looked on Amazon it was like really expensive and it's a really thin book but it it's really good for understanding group dynamics in fact I might do an ep- I might do a podcast episode on group dynamics because yeah there you go I'll make a note um anyway so yeah so making sure that your group dynamics are such that students feel safe and that they can make mistakes and that they're not going to feel stupid if they make mistakes and get things wrong. Um, so that needs to be embedded within the curriculum, whether it's working out how to do icebreaker activities, um, you know, t- working out how you're going to yeah, create that kind of atmosphere in the classroom. Thinking about what kind of things actually uh, challenge pupils. So, you know, for example, reading a text, doing true and false, does that actually challenge them? Or are they just guessing? Okay, we've all come across students who are like, guess, true, 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 true. They know they're going to get roughly 50% and that's enough. They don't care. They've not understood the text. So what are you doing to make sure they've actually understood the text? You know, (laughs) a true-false question is not going to ensure that they are actually engaging with the text. And I know it's a GCSE, like it is a GCSE reading question. Um, But for learning... (laughs) (laughs) that type of activity isn't going to be ideal. And a lot of people talk about this now, and I think in terms of differentiation, a lot of the thinking these days seems to be to kind of, to teach to the top and to scaffold below. So the challenge, so the work is challenging and it is difficult and it is engaging and hopefully it's motivating. But for those students who are going to struggle they need scaffolding. So either they need really clear vocabulary lists, they need more help in English, they need, I don't know, if if you're asking them to translate a text from English, uh, from the foreign language into English, for example, 
they they might need the sentences in English, but just in the wrong order. And then they literally, they're matching up the sentences to work out, okay, well, I know that word and I know that word so I can put them together. I mean, I've got a million ideas for that kind of thing as well. But yeah, so thinking about how you're going to push and challenge and teach to the top, but how that's going to be scaffolded <clears throat> for lower ability pupils. And again, it needs to be embedded within the design of the curriculum. It's not just a, like... It's not a lesson by lesson thing. It is part of the big, big, big picture. But to go back to the big picture and challenge and different abilities, I do not subscribe to all, must, some, or whatever, whatever it is. I think the big picture needs to be, we, we really want all students to be able to do X, Y, Z and to, to know and understand X, Y, Z by the end of, of the key stage the extent to which they can do that and how much scaffolding they need to be able to do that depends on the student. But I don't, personally, I don't think you can say, I think they should be able to do that, but they're only going to be able to do that. Like they should all have the target of being able to do whatever your things are that you want them to be able to do by the end of the key stage. Um, I'd be really interested to know people's opinions on that because I don't know, I think that's a it's, it's something that I've, again, thought about a lot more probably since I've stopped teaching <laughs> um, and I'm working more with teachers. And yeah, I, don't know, I, th it's, it's, I think that's an important point. OK, the last thing I wanted to talk about was, um, so I've talked about beautiful work and creating interesting work and things like that and real world settings. And the last thing I want to talk about in, is related to that in terms of um, yeah making languages relevant and enjoyable and again I could do an entire episode on this really like how to make it relevant to because languages are relevant I mean I was you know I was really lucky as a kid that I went to France Germany and Spain like quite a lot and I spoke to people in foreign you know I mean not very well um, and then I did always find that everyone could speak really good English which is so annoying but um yeah but I was aware that languages are like a real thing that you can actually do so they are relevant it's not like they're not like some abstract theory they're like totally relevant so how do you get that across again within your curriculum it needs to be embedded within your curriculum I think planning culture into the curriculum helps to make it relevant um, and by culture, I don't just mean customs and festivals, by the way. I mean everything. So people, history in particular, um, and it's a lot easier in French and Spanish, is, you know, colonialism, the francophone world, Hispanic, you know, Latin America, etc. That kind of thing is so important and will be relevant to a lot of your students who may come from, you know, all over the world. So, yeah, so some ideas that I've had for making MFO relevant and enjoyable. One of the things is playing around with words, finding interesting, strange words and learning about the etymology of words, learning about words um, and language families. So how are French and Spanish related to each other? What other languages are related? You know, I've taught many Romanian students and it's fascinating when you're teaching them French or Spanish and they say, oh, that's actually really similar to Romanian because obviously Romanian is a Romance language. I remember, mom, I got many, many years ago teaching, telling the time in German and saying, oh, yeah, it's a bit, and it's a bit funny because half past, like half past three is actually half until four. And the one kid piped up and said, oh, it's the same in my language. I don't want to say what language it was, so I can't remember. I think it's somewhere, somewhere like Croatian, maybe, Serbo, Croatian, I don't know. Something from former Yugoslavia, I'm going to say, but I could be wrong. <laughs> but yeah, and that is just so interesting. So, you know, looking at language families and and, and how um, different languages are related to each other and what are the same in, in different languages, um, looking at cognates, false friends, all those kind of things, pulling up a, a dictionary to show so if you look at the Collins Dictionary Online, for example, they show etymology, they show words that are related to each other. So playing, again, I mean, again, this goes, this is related to what I was talking about with the, um, the other episode about uh, Danish parenting and teaching. 
Okay, reading authentic texts, so not just the texts that have been created by textbook authors or resource writers like myself, um, off the top of my head, but actual authentic texts that may come across as really, really complicated. But if you can break them down and work through them with the students, um, they're perfectly doable. Things like the Grimm Märchen, so the um, Grimm's fairy tales, because they're quite nice and short. Articles from online newspapers. I know in French and German they've got really good ones for children, um, like Un Jour in Actu, and uh, ZDF has Logo Nachrichten. Things like that are really, really engaging, I think. Or look at translations of books they already know. Look at how they're translated. So Harry Potter, for example. How are they translated? And actually, the French translations of Harry Potter are brilliant because the, the words are things like the the sorting hat. Um, is it the chapeau? I think they call it like schwa as in choice, and then chapeau, po. Yeah. Anyway, um, yeah. And so look at actually how they're translated, and you know things like that, which I, I would have found really interesting when I was a kid. And I think you'd be surprised that quite a lot of kids would find that really fascinating. Um, and then see if you can work with other subjects as well. And again, plan that into your curriculum design. What are they reading in English, for example? Is there a way of incorporating, you know, the the kind of whatever book they're studying in English? Is there a similar German book? Is there a, a French translation of the book that you can look at together? Looking at profiles of of famous scientists or something I don't I mean you know the possibilities are endless but it's it's definitely really important I think to make it relevant and enjoyable and that's kind of brought it down to the task level and the lesson level but again all of this needs to be embedded in your curriculum design I think the more you think about things in advance actually the less you're going to have to plan them kind of day to day to day and also if you have people in your department who are maybe not necessarily um, specialists so I'm saying this from the position of someone who teaches a lot of teachers who aren't specialists who are basically trying to keep one or two steps ahead of the students at all times to have this embedded within the programs of study and to have the the links and to have the ideas there already from a specialist would be absolutely invaluable. I can imagine, you know, that that would be so helpful for so many people. And yeah, I think as a curriculum leader, you need to be thinking about these. And again, like the culture, you know, one of the things that people have said to me, um, particularly on the like the the beginners classes, is that they don't know about the culture in these lang in France or. Spain or whatever the language is that they don't really know because they've not studied it they don't they've not been there so yeah I think there's a lot there's a lot to consider and I've you know been talking for over 40 minutes about my ideas and there are so many more ideas so yeah there's a lot out there and there's a lot to consider um so to just go back to sum up what I have said I started off by talking about how you need to look at the bigger picture, start at the end. What do you want them to know and do by the end of the key stage? So in terms of vocab, grammar, culture and the skills. So reading, listening, writing, speaking <clears throat> and translation. And then work backwards and work out how each unit and each lesson feeds into that outcome. Throughout the time you need to be thinking about how key concepts are repeated and built upon over the course of time retrieval practice how you're going to get things into long-term memory and how you're going to build on them when they encounter that each time they encounter them then I talked about the curriculum content how many topics or units do you want to cover per year as I said personally these days if I were head of department I would be thinking of three units with a key idea per unit and you can go into depth every lesson every task builds towards this key idea and giving the pupils a chance to, do, to produce beautiful work at the end whether it's written or spoken and thinking about translating it into a real world setting which is easy for languages because they are real um, then I also talked about challenge, 
So high challenge, low threat, teaching to the top, scaffolding for those who might struggle and making your classroom feel safe and making them feel comfortable enough to make mistakes. Celebrate making mistakes and learning from those mistakes. Don't celebrate mistakes for the sake of like, because you keep getting everything wrong. Celebrate learning from making mistakes. And lastly, I talked about making MFL relevant and enjoyable. So playing with words, looking at etymology, word lang language families, etc. Authentic texts, um, how you can embed them within your curriculum design. And then talking to other subjects and seeing whether you can do cross-curricular things within your programmes of study as well. I really hope that that is useful. As I was doing all this I have a PowerPoint that I have used for like I said I've done um, webinars and workshops and stuff on this so I am going to put this up on my website as a blog post and I will put a link to the PowerPoint so you can download the PowerPoint um, and you can see it all written down because I know for me like that's a lot of information and I probably would be like oh my god I need I need to see this written down so I will put that on my website as a blog post. So if you, um, yeah, if you just go to katelanguages.co.uk, click on my blog. Um, unless you're listening to this in like two or three years time, it will be one of the most recent blog posts there. Um, so yeah, as always, I'd really, really love your feedback. <clears throat> I'd love to know what you thought of this episode, whether this is how you plan your own curriculum anyway, whether whether it's something, um, whether it's made you think, like, oh yeah, I really need to include X, Y, Z. So culture, I think is a really big one at the moment. Um, and how an authentic text may be, how you can incorporate them into your curriculum. Please do contact me and say, okay, this is a load of rubbish and absolutely impossible <laughs> if you feel that uh, it's unrealistic. You know, like I say, it's been five years since I've been in the classroom, but I have worked with a lot of teachers in that time. So I don't feel like I'm completely out of the loop. But yeah, I always love your feedback. So I am at Kate Languages on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook. Or you can email me, kate at katelanguages.co.uk. Or yeah, just, just get in touch. Let me know. Let me know your thoughts. I think I've been talking long enough. I feel like I'm losing my voice, so I think I'm going to let you go. Oh, last thing. Uh, if you could rate and review and subscribe to my podcast, that'd be great because that helps more people to know that it's out there, uh, which is always really, really handy. So anyway, yeah, as I say, I hope this has been useful um, and I'd love to hear your feedback. Okay, au revoir, adios. Good, no, not good, <laughs> I'll feed us in. I've got a speech over.